0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Oh God, speak good news among us today. Help us to be sharers of that good news. Amen. It's a pretty gloomy story we read today. Of course, it started out a whole lot better right before it, in case you don't remember. Jesus was with his disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them, he said, well, who do people say that I am? And some of the disciples said, well, some of you say that you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, some say that you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumped up and said, you are the Messiah, the Christ. Now, that was a loaded term back in that day and in this day about what it means to be the Messiah among the Jewish people. And I wanted to be right in what I might say, so I did my Google search because, you know, everything on the internet is true. But I did find a site called Judaism 101. It's written by a rabbi. And here's what that site says about the Messiah. The Messiah will be a great political leader descended from King David. He will be well-versed in Jewish law and observant of his commandments. He will be a charismatic leader, inspiring others to follow his example. He will be a great military leader who will win battles for Israel. The Messiah will bring about the political and spiritual redemption of the Jewish people by bringing us back to Israel and restoring Jerusalem. Jesus is the Messiah, Peter says, "Can you imagine? This was the first person to say it out loud, at least that we read that Jesus is Messiah." Can you imagine the excitement generated among these disciples that Jesus was indeed the Messiah? But then we get to our text today. It's the first of Jesus's three disclosures about what would happen to him. Perhaps you heard it. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, the Son of Man. Is a phrase that Jesus often used for himself to that basically that he was a human being just like others, but also in a reference in Daniel, Book of Daniel, I think, seven, it, it, it's kind of an exalted human figure. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the, the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And it says that he says all this very openly. Now, I think this is a playback on what happens earlier. He says this very openly for everyone to hear that this is what's going to happen to him, the Messiah. Now, earlier in that story I told about when Peter said, you are the Messiah, and Jesus said that he told them very sternly not to tell anybody this. And I think back then Jesus said, don't tell anybody because that was the expectation of what the Messiah would be, would be this religious and political leader that would overthrow the Romans. Jesus didn't want that being said, but he said quite openly that he would be arrested and killed. And then Peter rightly took him aside and began to rebuke him. He didn't do it in front of everybody. He did it to Jesus face to face, and of course he did. Jesus was his friend. He'd been with Jesus all along, one of the very first of the followers of Jesus. And he rebuked Jesus because he needed to, because Jesus was just saying what was going to happen to him, that he was going to get killed. And no, you're not. And then Jesus turns to all the disciples, not just to Peter. Peter. And he rebukes Peter back and says, Get behind me, Satan. What does that mean? I don't think that Jesus was saying that Peter was the personification of evil, Satan. The word Satan is ha-satan in the Greek, and that means the adversary or, or the accuser. In other words, Peter's words were a denial of who Jesus was going to be. Peter wants Jesus to be this Messiah who will be this great military and political leader. Jesus is saying, "Get behind me, Satan, because that is not the way I am to go." And then we get to what I would say is the crux, the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. He calls the crowd with his disciples. That includes us. And he said to them, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Let them deny themselves. What does that mean? It's the season of Lent. And I haven't done it yet, and I was going to maybe do it this week, but I'm not. Maybe I'll do it next week, or maybe I won't do it at all. But one of the elements that's often lifted up in Lent is the notion of giving up something and taking up something in return. You know, perhaps um, some kind of uh, something you eat or something you do. Quit doing that for a time and take up something else instead. And those are good things to do in the sense of, helping you refocus yourself and maybe think more on your relationship to God and and what that's all about. That's a good thing. But I think when Jesus says to deny yourself, he's talking more than just giving up chocolate for Lent and then giving the $2 to charity. Since he does talk about equates denying yourself with losing your life, And on the other extreme, I don't think denying ourselves means that we are supposed to rid ourselves of all the joy and pleasures of life, that we're supposed to live as some kind of hermit, some kind of martyr, who has absolutely no excitement in life at all. And we're certainly not to be a doormat so that people can just run all over you. I don't think that's what Jesus means by denying ourselves. I think to deny the self means that we give up control. We give up the power that we have over our lives. We give up the notion that we are the creator of our lives. The self, the me, the mind, the hour, that's not the focus anymore. In other words, we are not in charge someone else is. In other words, we make ourselves vulnerable to the control of someone else. And that's not anything that anybody really wants to do. Let them deny themselves and take up the cross. Now by cross we don't mean just the Uh, aches and pains that comes with life because everyone has those. Those are hard things, but that's not the cross that Jesus is talking about. No, by cross, Jesus references a very specific means of execution. I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it. The Romans would crucify only those people who were the very biggest threats to the Roman Empire. Those who would speak of allegiances to kingdoms other than Rome. Those who might speak of the Son of God as someone other than obviously Caesar, who was indeed the Son of God. Killing someone on a cross was a very political statement. A reminder to anyone of what might happen If you cross hairs with the powerful Romans, this is what can happen to you. Jesus, who spoke of another kingdom. Jesus, who was called Messiah, who was called Son of God. That's how he got killed. That's why he got killed. That's why the Romans didn't just take Jesus and lock him up in jail and let him rot there. They could have done that. And that's, not, that's why Jesus, Jesus didn't die by the Romans sending out one of their hitmen to go out and, and take out Jesus in the night. No, they made a very public and political spectacle of Jesus so that everyone could see it. Now, it was public and very political. And there's this too if the aim of Jesus was just to get people saved so they can go to heaven when they die the Romans would not have had a care in the world about what he said if Jesus' focus was on heaven they wouldn't have bothered to kill him they just would have thought he was crazy they certainly wouldn't have done what they did to him if they thought That's what Jesus was about. If Jesus talked about a kingdom of God that was where you go after you die, they wouldn't have bothered with him. But Jesus talked about a kingdom of right here and now, and it got him killed. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It it means, for one thing, that it's all of our life and not just parts of it. It's not just on Sunday morning going to church and then the rest of it is just whatever. And it's not just when we feel like following Jesus, when it's easy to do or the cool thing to do. There's two other times when Jesus says, follow me in the book of Mark. One of them we've talked about not too long ago. It's when Jesus first started his ministry and he saw some fishermen. And he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And it said, that first it was Simon and Andrew and then James and John. And it said, immediately they left their nets, their fishing nets. And they went and followed Jesus. They left their business behind. James and John not only left their business behind, they left their daddy hanging and left with Jesus. That's the first time Jesus says, follow me. There's another one. It was a man that comes to Jesus, said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, well, you know the, the commandments. And, the, you know, and he went through the commandments. And the guy said, well, I followed all of those since my youth. And, and then Jesus says, well, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. And it said that that, meant that, man, that man went away grieving because he was very rich. Twice. Jesus says, follow me. The first time they left their whole livelihood, the second time was to get rid of all their wealth and to give it to the poor. Follow me, Jesus says. That's more than going to church on Sunday. Though that's very important. It's a whole lot more than being nice to people. Even though it's good to be nice, and it's a whole lot more than not doing the things that we were raised to not do, like swear and uh, drink and dance and whatever, all those other sins that I do or do badly. <laughs> Why did Jesus get killed? <laughs> I know I know when will he shut up? (laughs) I'm getting there. Getting there. Hang in there, kiddo. What got Jesus killed? Two examples. This story with the rich man. The rich man, the one who would be looked up to in society, the one that obviously had some uh, social status. And notice what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, give away your possessions. He said, give away or sell the stuff and give the money to the poor. Jesus was saying the rich give to the poor, and that's going to flip things because the Romans knew that the rich need to be rich because they're the powerful ones. They're the ones that keep our bread buttered. You can't be lifting up the poor because that's going to turn the whole thing upside down. Bye, sweetie. We'll be done in a little bit. And then there's another cute little story. We talk about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. The wee little man is he. You know, he's up in a tree and Jesus comes and says, i got to come to your house tonight. And this guy was a tax collector. Not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, which meant he was the chief robber for the Romans. He would be the, the head of the one that would go around and get money from the, the people, the Jewish people. To help pay for all the Roman stuff, like the military stuff and the big houses and palaces. And his job was to go around and get money for the Romans. And not only that, because he had all the military power behind him, if he wanted to, he could get extra from the people because there's nothing they could do about it. They were poor. They they couldn't do anything to this powerful guy. Jesus goes to this guy, and it ends up this guy turns his life around and says, I'm going to give back four times the amount that I robbed from the people. And man, you just don't do that kind of stuff. Jesus was poking the bear. That's why he got killed. Following Jesus is a whole lot more than being nice. Following Jesus is a whole lot more about making sure we get to heaven when we die. Even though, Lord, I hope that's true. That's what I pray for. Following Jesus is doing more than just good things. God loves everyone. Our youth are going to have a project coming up, doing Easter baskets. that will go to the food pantry for children, which is awesome. Jolene and Rebecca are heading that up, and our baptism class is going to be in it, and some of our older youth will be in it. Right, Gracie um, and Carly, yes. Um, that's good to do that. But I think it's important, too, to ask questions about why we have to have that. There's a couple examples from my life the last couple weeks that... I've had to wrestle with when I've been wrestling with the Scripture. Two Wednesdays ago, I went down to the Capitol, and frankly I'm getting sick of going down there. There's a group called Moms Demand Action. Moms Demand Action is a national group, and it's in Kentucky. I found out about it just a few months ago. And their, their whole goal is sensible gun regulation, sensible, common sense stuff, not crazy on one side or the other well they sent out some stuff and one of the bills that is being lifted up in the kentucky house is called house bill 210 and house bill 210 is going to allow persons with valid concealed deadly weapons licenses or temporary permits to carry concealed weapons on public post-secondary property and in buildings controlled by the state and local government the part that jumped out with me is carry concealed weapons on public post-secondary property in other words a student who's 21 years old at U L or UK or whatever college can carry a concealed weapon with them wherever they go except for places that sell alcohol I think about when I was at Georgia and I would go to frat parties now of course you don't sell alcohol of course, you know, you don't drink alcohol at frat parties, right? Uh, I can just imagine stupid me at one of those frat parties. Of course you go to, to well, some people would go to drink and to try to meet girls. <laughs> I'm carrying a concealed weapon and little Susie starts flirting with me. I'm going to show Susie, look at here, let's go outside and shoot some beer cans. Or let's say you're a professor, I remember I took a a biology class that had like 300 people in it my freshman year. And let's say you take a test and a third of the class flunks the first test because it's supposed to be a joke class, you know. It's for business majors. Let's say I'm the professor and I come in and there's this carried concealed thing that's passed. And is anybody up in that 300 people in that class or any of them carrying a weapon? and really are mad at me because I flunked them because they've never made an F before. Or maybe I need to pack too. It's horrendous. Ball games. I'm bad enough at Georgia football games. I certainly don't need a gun. Fortunately, it seems like this one's not going to go anywhere. What does that have to do with being a Christian, Scott. I think it has everything to do with being a Christian for me. Of course, that happened two Wednesdays ago. I left about noon. About two o'clock, there was a shooting in Parkland, Florida. Seventeen people killed on a school campus. The next Wednesday, this past Wednesday, was the Fairness Rally downtown. I've gone to that every year well in several years uh, to talk about fairness for all people. One of the ladies who's there with me, Nancy Lynch, she's a social worker at uh, Hospice of the Bluegrass. She's an awesome person. She and I met with our representative Derek Graham. When we went in there I looked on Mr. Graham's desk and there was the pension bill that you may not have been aware of this, but that's been a big deal in Frankfurt this session. So, in other words, I knew he had some important stuff ahead of him, and it was just me and Nancy. So, we talked a little bit about fairness stuff and talked about, you know, that all people should be welcome. And he said this, because I was trying to get us out of there because I knew he was busy. He goes, let me tell you what is discrimination He's been a representative for like 16 years, he said. I don't remember exactly what he said because I really was just trying to get us out the door. Nancy kept talking. He's got to read this thing. He said, what people notice about me the first time they see me is that I am a black man. And because I'm a black man, that affects how they see me. I really hope I can get the nerve up to get a hold of Representative Graham and sit down with him one-on-one sometime and ask him, What do you mean? I think I know what he means. And for me as a white male to say, Oh, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. I don't have that right. I haven't faced what he says he has faced. You know, I think denying ourselves and taking up a cross and following Jesus calls us into ways that we may not want to go because there's a cross awaiting us. But, fortunately, that's not the end of the story because Jesus says there at the end, after three days, He would rise again. In other words, the way of the cross, which is hard for all of us, It's worth it, because that is God's way, and God's way will go with us even as we lift up our cross and bear it and live it. And thanks be to God for the power of resurrection and power of new life that never quits calling us. Amen.